Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TMA Ask the Expert podcast series. Today's podcast is entitled Sexual Function and Quality of Life After a Diagnosis of ADEM, NMOSD, and PM. This is the first in a two-part series covering these important issues. The next podcast on contraception, pregnancy, delivery, and childcare will be held on November 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Gigi DeFibri from the Transverse Myelitis Association. We are a nonprofit focused on support, education, and research of rare neuroimmune disorders. You can learn more about us on our website at myelitis.org. This podcast is made possible in part through the generous support of Alexian Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. Alexian Pharmaceuticals is a global biopharmaceutical company focused on serving patients with severe and rare disorders through the innovation, development, and commercialization of life-transforming therapeutic products. Their goal to deliver medical breakthroughs where none currently exist is driven by the knowledge that people's lives depend on their work. Just so everyone knows, this podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the TMA website for download via iTunes. During the call, if you have any additional questions, you can send a message through the chat option with GoToWebinar. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Paula Hardiman and Dr. Philippine Kabahog. Um, Paula Hardiman is a physician assistant and lead advanced practice provider in the neuroimmunology program at UT Southwestern Medical Center. She graduated from Texas A&M University with a Bachelor of Science in degree in Biomedical Science and received her Master of Physician Assistant Studies degree in 2004 from UT Southwestern. After completing PA school, she worked in a primary care internal medicine office where she was able to implement many programs to help patients learn about and better manage their chronic diseases such as diabetes, high blood pressure, and asthma. In February 2010, Paula joined the Neuroimmunology Program. Not only is she involved in the evaluation and treatment of patients with demyelinating disorders, but she also develops and coordinates various research projects and health and wellness programs. Dr. Kabahog earned her Bachelor's of Science in Physical Therapy at the University of the Philippines in 1994 and her medical degree at St. Luke's Memorial Philippines in 2000. She completed a physical medicine and rehabilitation residency at the Philippine General Hospital in 2005. She was awarded a UN Merck scholarship to pursue her postgraduate diploma in gerontology and geriatrics at the University of Malta in 2004. In 2009, she finished her internship in internal medicine at Atlantic Clare Regional Medical Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey. She completed her second physical medicine and rehabilitation residency in 2012 at Johns Hopkins Hospital and a fellowship in spinal cord injury medicine at Johns Hopkins Hospital and the Kennedy Krieger Institute in 2013. Upon completion of her fellowship, Dr. Kabahoog joined the International Center for Spinal Cord Injury as a full-time physician. She's the director of the musculoskeletal ultrasound at KKI. She runs two clinics at KKI, a musculoskeletal diagnostic clinic and an ultrasound-guided intrathecal pump access clinic. Dr. Kabahoog is actively involved in medical education as a faculty clinical instructor with the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to both of you, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Gigi. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Gigi. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, thank you very much. We're very happy to have both of you here. Um, so we've received many questions from the community about this topic. Um, you know, this is a, a very important issue that maybe isn't discussed often enough. Um, so before we get into discussion and you know, getting to these community questions, um, Dr. Kevahood, can you just give us a brief overview of the sexual dysfunction that occurs as a result of these disorders and um, you know, why it occurs? So basically when somebody has TM, NMO, or ADEM, your spinal cord is involved. And as we all know, the information coming from our genital area to the brain and back again, they all pass through the spinal cord. Um, the, the ability to have, a, so in sex it's not just doing it, you have the concept of excitation and arousal, and then you have the other half, which is either orgasm and ejaculation. Now, these two, let's say, big boxes of, of what happens when, when you have your sexual intimacy, um, they're all managed and controlled, and the coordination is through your um, autonomic nervous system. You have your sympathetic 
sympathetic, and you have your parasympathetic um, autonomic nervous systems. So um, with um, when we were in med school, our mnemonic was for sympathetic. Um, well, for parasympathetic, it's it's more with the excitation and arousal part of the sexual act. So that's the point. And then the sympathetic that is more with the um, ejaculation. So that shoot, point and shoot. When you have a spinal cord injury or any disease affecting the integrity and communication of your spinal cord, these systems will be affected, resulting in sexual dysfunction. Now, it is common to experience problems with arousal and excitation, depending on you know how high your spinal cord dysfunction is or how high in your spinal cord you've been affected versus orgasm and ejaculation or and male specifically is erection and ejaculation. If you have a if the lesion that is affecting your spine is rather rather high up, um, typically in males you would expect that they would have problems with what we call um, psychogenic erection that is being aroused and excited just by um, you know thought imagination. Um, if it's very much lower, like below the belly button, you can still have reflex erection. So meaning if um, the penis gets touched or if the genitalia gets um, touched, you can still have some excitement. Um, or, and usually if it's like below the belly button, um, there is possibility for a reflex erection. So again, I know I'm probably like um, going a bit off track, but whenever you have anything affecting your spinal cord, those aspects below, uh, those aspects of arousal, excitation, and orgasms will be affected. And it just depends on how high you are in the spinal cord that has been affected and where you'll have more problems with. So. That's a great overview. And Paula, do you have anything to add? No, I think Dr. Kabahu did a, a great um, explanation of what, what's going on. Uh, with the information coming um, into the spinal cord and how uh, things can can have problems uh, with especially with sexual dysfunction. Okay, um, and so I would um, you know we've gotten a, a lot of questions um, and several of them are regarding um, difficulty with arousal and orgasm and a lack of sensation and you know how these all kind of play together. Um, for example, someone said that they find it very difficult to obtain an erection even with medication like Cialis and Viagra, um, and they haven't been able to reach a climax or ejaculate for some time now. Um, is there anything that can be done to restore some sexual function? Um, okay, so um, in males, usually it's a, a stepwise process. So we're just talking about erection here. Um, the most, the least invasive. Um, management that we would start with is giving what we call the phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors. These are your Viagra, Cialis. What these medications do is that they enable the penis to be engorged with blood so that you'll have an erection. Now, um, if your spinal cord injury is, you know, above your belly button, you most likely you will be able to have you'll be more successful with your erections. If it's like, if you have a very low spinal cord injury, like a lower motor neuron type, it doesn't work as well. Now, for those patients who have tried Viagra, Cialis, and they don't have erections that are optimal for intercourse, there are other avenues that, you can ex that the patient can explore with their urologist. Um, they could involve um, actually um, injection of, um, of of medication, or they could use a vacuum device. Um, that those are some of the things that can be um, done. Um, Paula, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I agree with going to see a, a urologist and having just a good basic workup for um, sexual dysfunction. Uh, as as men age, they can have uh, hormonal changes as well. And so you could have a decrease in some of the sex hormones, which could further exacerbate um, some sexual functioning. And so those can be easily corrected with uh, various um, hormone replacement therapies. 
Uh, but then like Dr. Tabahu was saying that the urologist can do different things, whether it's uh, helping with um, pumps or other uh, injections into the penis to help with blood flow and uh, the nerve stimuli. Another thing I talk to my patients about is just um, possibly learning how to incorporate touch uh, into the sexual acts and learn different parts of the body that can help with arousal so you don't have to just focus on um, the penis or the female genitalia, maybe just touching around in the groin area or uh, different parts of the body to help start elicit some of that arousal function as well. And then, so a lot, you know, um, some of the um, interventions that are done are that we've talked about so far have been largely for men. Is there anything for women as well? Now that's that's a very. I'm so sorry. Um, that's a very tricky uh, question because I feel like sometimes women we get the sh uh, the short end of the stick regarding this. Um, again, if you have uh, if your spinal cord injury is um, T10 and higher or basically a higher level, and if you are in an incomplete injury, meaning you do have some sensation, you do have let's say some increase in tone in your lower extremities, more or less you will have some sensation. Um, the question is if it's good enough that you can um, have an orgasm. Unfortunately, there's no pill that women can um, can um, take to facilitate arousal and orgasm at this time. Um, there have been, you know, uh, there have been like novel research about using sensory substitution in sex. We, basically, you're taking advantage of this concept of neuroplasticity in our central nervous system, and 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 you to, and and then you're stimulating areas still with intact sensation and sort of to help heighten that sense of pleasure and orgasmic sensations. That's just novel research going on right now. Um, another thing to consider also with women, as I said, we are the short end of the stick sometimes. When we grow older, so normally without having any problems, there's spinal cord injury. When we grow older, we have to deal with our hormonal changes as, as well, including vaginal dryness. So um, I would recommend like um, my older patients that when they follow up with their gynecologist, we also discuss this, they might need some um, uh, medications like vaginal creams in order to help uh, um, maintain that mucosal, uh, the, the, the vaginal mucosa and hopefully that will help because some uh, would help with um, uh, pain during intercourse or try to st um, maintain as much lubrication as possible. Paula, what do you, uh, what do you think? I know I agree 100 percent and and so one of the, the I hope the take-home messages that the uh, patients can uh, take from this podcast is that um, there definitely can be some other extenuating circumstances that may not be all can be you know fully explained from the nervous system that can affect uh, sexual functioning and it may involve seeing the urologist or the gynecologist and getting a good workup at looking at other uh, potential causes um, that can interfere with sexual function such as the hormones whether it's male or female hormones and just looking at the anatomy, the structure, and making sure there's um, no other problems with that. I know a lot of patients can experience some increased tone in the muscles of the pelvic floor, um, so it might even be appropriate to see a pelvic floor specialist to see if they're having spasms, which can also um, cause pain during, especially for women, with uh, pain during intercourse. Thank you. Um, and then, so we talked a little bit about um, you know, difficulty with arousal and orgasm, but is there anything that can be done for issues with sensation? Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, I know for women, at least with my patients, I've, I've talked about um, using either very high powerful vibrators or mm -hmm. it's Going back to what Dr. Kabahu was saying, of uh, just learning different areas to touch that can produce a, a arousal sensation, um, whether it's using um, the hands, the breasts, just mm -hmm. a different part of the body to help with arousing and not solely focusing on the vagina to, to, to um, create arousal. 
Dr. Kamala, uh, do you do have anything I, to yeah. say? No, I was going to say the same thing. Again, aside from doing that sensory substitution, um, women can also try um, the easing their vibrators, see if um, that would help. Right. Okay, and then we've gotten several questions also regarding um, pain and, you know, bladder and bowel issues. So, of course, you know, you have the spinal cord damage that then leads to sexual dysfunction, but there's also all these other issues, you know, with neuropathic pain or, um, you know, bladder, bladder issues. Um, for example, someone said, you know, since they're attack, it's hard to achieve orgasm, and when they do, um, most of the time they still urinate during orgasm, so even when they empty their bladder before sex, they still have this problem. Um, so, you know, they're asking, why does this happen, and can anything be done to correct it? So, if you could just speak a little bit about kind of all these other issues that can come into play um, with sexual dysfunction as well. Yeah. So, um, we were also discussing this um, earlier. So typically, we would recommend our patients before um, they have their sexual intercourse, make sure that they do quote-unquote little housekeeping, bladder has been emptied, their bowel program has been done earlier in the day. Um, that being said, um, if there is an issue with um, urinating, even if that person you know does all of the, um, the, the bladder, and bowel program before intercourse and if they're still urinating um, like what Paula said I would do a further investigation to see that the bladder is being appropriately managed it's not all just because of the sexual dysfunction I mean perhaps there you know the bladder you have like bladder hyperactivity um, that is not being let's say optimally managed and that should be addressed or I mean investigated to make sure that um, there are no new, there's no increased bladder pressures, the medication is appropriate for that person. Because typically um, what we see is if our patients do their bladder and bowel program, they, they don't have this much problems. Um, what about you, Paula? What do you think? What's in your experience? No, I, I agree completely. My, my biggest concern would be um, even though if, if a person is emptying their bladder um, and, you know, engaging in sexual intercourse and then still having leakage of urine, I would be concerned that they may not be fully emptying their bladder. And this is why I would want to bring in urology to really take a look and to make sure when they empty, they are getting uh, most of the urine out of the bladder. We all know we don't empty completely, but, she, you know, to make sure they're not uh, left with more than about 50 cc's of urine um, in the bladder, uh, just to make sure there's nothing wrong with the sphincter control or, like you're saying, bladder tone control uh, that can make them think they have a, a sexual uh, dysfunction problem, but it's not. It's something more with a problem with the bladder. And then one of our um, questions that came in was talking about how um, they this person has been very fortunate in their recovery, but. Um, they haven't really regained sexual function, and the other thing that hasn't really come back is bladder control. Um, are these two directly related? Um, I, I guess it depends on when they say bladder control and what regards do they mean. Um, there is probably some relations just because of where the nerves enter into the spinal cord. It's a very close proximity. It's like how Dr. Kapaho said, if it's a lesion below your uh, belly button, basically, um, it will affect bladder bowel function, um, which can also affect sexual function. Um, so I think it's, it's hard to give specifics on without knowing exactly when saying you haven't regained uh, bladder function. What do you think, Dr. Kapaho? Yeah, so um, again, I don't know the specifics but depending on where your lesion is, and then that will dictate how involved your bladder, bowel, bladder and bowel control and how, in, how significant the sexual dysfunction a person has. Um, they all, you know, the control from the waist down in terms of the genitals, bowel and bladder, they're all in the same neighborhood. Uh, that's what I like to say, tell my patients. They all share the same pathways, more or less. It's just a difference in innervation. Um, so usually if you do have bladder and bowel issues, I expect my patients to have some 
sexual dysfunction. And again, it depends on how severely or what part of the cord has been affected. Okay, thank you. Um, and then we also have some questions um, from some of our members who are talking about how, you know, because they have issues with sensation um, and because of these other issues, maybe some pain or bladder and bowel issues, um, this has led to kind of a lack of interest in sex um, or, and, you know, some issues with relationships because of that. Um, so if, you know, they're just wondering, you know, if there's anything that can be, be done about that as well. Yeah. So, again, this is um, also tricky, especially like um, usually like with a phys with with a physician when a patient tells us about like they have pain, um, we do a lot of medications. And I think some of the people who submitted the questions they are saying they they're on all of these medications for nerve pain, and um, they're still having issues with the nerve pain, and because of that, they're not able to fully engage in sexual intimacy. Um, always, I always try to find out, is there something else that is causing or intensifying their pain? Um, if, for example, for, for men who have specific testicular and perineal pain, I usually work with the um, urologist. I would have them further evaluated for for, for example, if it's a pain in the scrotum, do they have a cyst or a what we call a hydrocele or, or, uh, or, or a varicocele that could be contributing to the pain? And because of the spinal cord injury, you're, you're perceiving the pain differently. Um, with women, again, it's a bit more tricky. Um, there is all, you know, some, some, some women or some men, some of our patients really have this. Um, allodynia or really hypersensitivity to touch it is uncomfortable and we try to first again the most least invasive is with your pain medications whether it be Lyrica, Gabapentin, Cymbalta, you could try a tricyclic antidepressant for that um, and usually I start working also with interventional pain management specialists to see if um, there is something um, um, that else that could be done but again going back um, if you know when there is pain we always try to find out barring the spinal cord dysfunction is there something else that is causing or intensifying that pain and then we take it from there yeah I, I agree completely you always want to <clears throat> investigate to make sure that there's not some other causes uh, that can be contributed contributing to the pain um, what I've learned from some of my patients, uh, what they're experiencing when they have pain uh, is they're actually having some muscle tightness and spasms of the muscles of the pelvic floor. Um, so we have started working with uh, physical therapy who will actually do some training uh, with um, the pelvic floor muscles and teach patients on how to relax those muscles um, and so that they can... And they, those patients get some benefit, but I, I will be honest and say it's not 100%. Mm -hmm. um, but but some do report at least a, a you know about 50% reduction in their uh, pain that they can have. I also have learned from my patients that I, I realize and understand this brings up a lot of insecurities and um, anxiety associated with it if you're not able to um, engage sexually uh, intimate with your your partners and have encouraged my patients to start seeking out counseling, especially someone who is trained in not only um, mm -hmm. sexual intimacy issues, but also uh, uh, neurologic conditions to help foster uh, open communication and work with the partners on identifying whether it's different positioning techniques to help have a sexual connection without uh, eliciting pain on the other person. Thank you. Um, so that's, um, you know, I, I think that was a very good transition to some of the other questions more about, mm -hmm. you know, issues with possible partners and, and kind of transitioning from being someone who didn't have a disability to then having a disability and kind of having to deal with that in this sort of sphere. Um, mm -hmm. So one of our um, questions that came in is that, um, the pain in my genitals is so much that I no longer like touching myself. Besides the pain, my body image has become bad too, from being overweight 
and misshapen. Um, and I don't like talking about any of these issues with possible partners, so I just stop having relationships. How can I get back to loving my body as it is? Hmm. Yeah, I think you know, the first the first step with with something like that is to uh, work with a psychologist or a counselor to overcome these these feelings of not liking um, the body image that they that the they see. Um, and once they can start overcoming those images, then we can start working on uh, the sexual function and developing healthy uh, personal relationships. Yeah, um, uh, I agree with uh, uh, Paula with this respect also. I mean, on, on top of everything else, uh, the physical limitations that one has to deal with after, you know, after having a, a disease like NMO, ADEM or TM or any spinal cord injury for that matter, it really takes a, a toll on your psyche and your way uh, and your coping and your, your coping and your behavioral mechanisms. Sex is not just a physical act, it's also a mental and a spiritual act, that's how I look at it. So if, you know, the physical obstacles, sometimes there are ways to work with them, but if, if you are struggling with, you know, within yourself, um, no matter what we do or, you know, if, if, you're, if you're dealing with these um, psychological concerns, it's not going to be as successful um, as it would if you have that extra support. I, I mean, granted, it, it's it's not it's not going to be easy either way. I mean, I, I totally understand. Um, I can only I can empathize with our patients um, because sex is not just a physical act; it's dealing with another person, but. Intimacy is like you're trying to share the best of yourself at that moment, but it's going to be difficult if you don't see the best in yourself. It is really important for, and I, and I always ask my patients once I, I ask, I give them permission to talk to me about these things, but I also ask for their, you know, their permission when they are free and able to talk about their psychological concerns about the questions that they have when, when it re with regards to intimacy. Um, again, there are things that medicine is coming up every day um, and now it's now in our society we're really more open about, well, we have been open about sex a lot, but I guess it just depends on how you look at it, but more, more open about discussing the impact of sex in the health of people. Um, so, it, 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 you know, I, I, think, I think you said a very good point to keep in mind that, um, especially when it comes to the uh, psychological aspects and the anxiety and the, um, you're correct, you know, sexual, sexual function or intimacy is not about just the act of having sex, it's about the connection between two people. And when working on these, the psychological issues, it's, it's not going to be an easy process and it's not going to be a quick fix process. It's not going to be something with visiting with a psychologist or a counselor of mm -hmm. one or two visits and it's going to solve. It is going to be something that is, you know, a month, maybe even year process to work on of removing a lot of the barriers and the hurt um, that the patient may be, be going through to help start working at getting better sexual functioning. Right. And, um, you know, Dr. Cavazoo, as you said, we, you know, we maybe are getting a little bit better with talking about this issue. Um, but, you know, some people might still, mm -hmm. you know, there's still some stigma around it. And, you know, it might be difficult for some people to bring it up with their, you know, with their healthcare provider. So as healthcare providers, you know, what's the best way for a patient to bring this up? And, you know, who, who should they talk to about these issues in the healthcare right. setting? Yeah. So I always... Well, I always tell my patients not the time. So as a provider, I always I always preface my visits with, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. This is your time with me to ask what you need to know or what you want to know. Um, physicians, we've been trained to give patients permission to ask the most intimate 
most intimate of questions regarding their health. Um, for patients who've had spinal cord dysfunction, um, usually the best people to talk to, if not their primary care physician, is their you know, spinal cord specialist. Um, other people that they can talk to is, um, is with, with their with females, their OB gynecologist, or with their urologist. But the but I guess, and then I I am just seeing like the shift because when I was in med school before, we really were, and this is a long time ago, we weren't really taught how to broach or open up the topic of talking about sex and sexual function with our patients. This has changed over the years, so actually more physicians are not all, but a lot of the physicians are asking these questions during, you know, routine visits. But then again, I digress. Um, for our patients with spinal cord dysfunction, your spinal cord special, if you're not comfortable with your primary care physician talking about these things, but you should be, you should be, um, your spinal cord specialist is, is a, a good person. Your spinal cord, cord health provider is a good person to start um, these conversations. No, I, I agree. I think it's important uh, with what, you know, you should be comfortable speaking to any of your healthcare providers about um, issues you're, you're having, but I, I can definitely understand and see how some primary care providers may not truly understand what a spinal cord injury uh, can do to a person or impact a person. So I, I would hope that um, the patients have some type of spinal cord injury specialist that they are seeing and start having um, those conversations. I, I know, at least from the PA perspective, a lot of the training mm -hmm. now is trying to be more patient-centric, and so uh, there is more training to get comfortable about asking and talking to patients about such sensitive subjects, which although I, I don't think they should be such sensitive because it, it is affecting life and quality of life and you know, we're, we're here to help patients find ways to make improvements in their quality of life. Um, so I would, I would encourage people to do their best to try to find someone that they feel comfortable that they can talk to and open up. And, and sometimes it may be not that you're necessarily having a problem, but you just want to be educated and aware of if things start to happen or, you know, you can always start the dialogue that way of just inquiring um, and, and don't necessarily always just to wait for when it's happening, but start educating yourself on the disease process. Thank you. Um, and then do either of you know anything about any, um, you know, research that's happening in this topic? Um, just if you could give a little bit about that, if you know of anything. I do not know of anything, and so I ask <laughs> <as> you. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I, I I do not have anything new to to add to, in terms of research. Um, again, they are trying out new medications for, like new new kinds of phosphodiesterase inhibitors. Um, there hasn't been much in terms of. Um, anything oral that anything else that will help with um, return of sensation at this point in time. We have the usual, you know, intracavernosal injections. We have the penile implants. Um, before there used to be, um, uh, I'm blanking out on the name, the um, uh, electrical stimulation. Is it the Bradley, the stim device? But that hasn't been much in use in, in, in the past few years. So the Brindley, sorry, it's the Brindley stim stimulator. But otherwise, I don't think anything um, else is in the pipeline for now. So sorry, I, I I'm really not aware if there's anything else new aside from what I've, those I've just mentioned. That's okay. That's that's fine. Um, and then so you know at the beginning we talked about um, you know what you know, that the spinal cord has an effect on sexual function and then can lead to sexual dysfunction mm -hmm. if there's um, damage to it. Um, so if we could just go back again, just for a refresher on the nervous system, you know, the difference between sympathetic and parasympathetic so that people, you know, upon leaving after listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. they can have a better understanding of how their specific injury might affect sexual dysfunction. Okay. So your autonomic nervous system, what I like to 
jokingly call the automatic nervous system because it takes care of everything else. Um, it's really composed of your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system is responsible for your fight and flight response. That's what kicks in when you're being chased by a tiger or something like that. Um, your parasympathetic nervous system is more of the rest and digest. That takes, that takes over during those rest and digest periods. Um, now, for these two nervous systems, um, they have a certain location on the spinal cord. Um, your sympathetic nervous system is more towards the middle of your spinal cord, so for in your the thoracic areas of your spinal cord up to the upper lumbar areas. That would, that's where your sympathetic nervous system controls are located in. Your parasympathetic has two locations. One is related to the cranial nervous, particularly your 10th cranial nerve, and the other one is in the lower part of your spinal cord, your S2, S4 segments. And the S2, S4 segments, the lower part of your spinal cord, that's where most of your bowel, bladder, um, and sexual function connections are found in. Now, these two systems, when it comes to sex, they work together. But then, depending on how high your lesion is, one is predominant more than the other. Right. Hello? Hi, yes, yeah. thank you. And Paula, do you have anything to, to add? No, I, I think there was a, a perfect um, description of the um, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Okay, great, thank you. Um, and then we did have a, another question. Um, this is kind of less about sexual dysfunction. And um, uh, so this is the, the question is, I would like to know, will I be able to have children seeing as I've had TM since the age of one and a half? I didn't recover like other patients. This has been making me wonder if it is possible. Right. So um, uh, I'm not sure if the the person is male or female. So that's one of the first things I would ask. Um, if if the if that person um, is female, um, as long as you're menstruating, so any you I expect you to be able to be fertile unless you have some other problem. Um, women who've had any injury to their spinal cord or any disease to their spinal cord, um, usually within six to twelve months, um, you know, menses return, their child of childbearing age, their menses return, and there should not be a problem in getting pregnant. With males, it's a different matter because when you have a spinal cord dysfunction, disease, or injury otherwise, um, what is usually affected is the motility of the sperm and that's where you know fertility becomes an issue um, because you have to have an adequate amount of uh, motile sperm um, and on top of that there are other things you'll have to consider um, uh, perhaps uh, there are other problems as well so with males the issue is decreased sperm motility and because of that decreased sperm motility and on top of the fact that you know ejaculation may not be occurring you'll have to seek a specialist like a urologist um, to discuss options to retrieve that sperm the remaining sperm that you have females as long as you're of childbearing age and you have menses and you don't have any other issues with fertility itself, you, you should be able to become pregnant. Yeah, it's the same conversation I have with my, my patients. If they're, they're female, uh, of childbearing age, having a normal um, menstrual cycle and, you know, nothing interfering with that, there's no reason why you, you can't get pregnant and have a baby regardless if your diagnosis is TM, NMO, um, or ADEM. There is always the discussion I like to have with my patients to please let me know when you plan on mm -hmm. getting pregnant yeah. so we can make a plan to remove uh, certain medications that can harm uh, a fetus uh, but otherwise just having the history of having TM, NMO, SD or um, ADEM does not prevent anyone from getting pregnant if that's what they choose uh, to do uh, and so as long as 
you know, fertility is still there, then there's there's no reasons. But like Dr. Cabahu was saying, if if it's a male, you may want to see the urologist to have just a sperm count and make sure that that's okay. And and if it is a low sperm count, there are things that they can do to help with still um, being able to conceive a child. And and the same thing with a woman, you just want to make sure, uh, you know, normal uh, ovulatory cycles are occurring and and that those things. Okay, and just to, as a reminder to everyone listening, we will be talking more about um, that topic ne uh, next month at our at our next podcast. Um, but it's good just to you know discuss a little bit today as well. Um, and so I also just wanted you mentioned you know um, patients should when they are have if they're having these issues should talk to their OBGYN about this. And um, OBGYNs might not have as much experience with these neurological conditions um, as either of you have. And mm -hmm. so do you have any advice for a patient? when they go to see their OBGYN and how to explain, you know, their illness? Um, I, I think I think what you would want to look for in your OBGYN um, is for someone to be open about their knowledge of the disease state, so meaning if they've never heard of or never treated a patient to um, find someone who would be willing to talk to their neurologist, their spine specialist, uh, to learn more about the disease state and then as a team, the OB-GYN and the um, spine specialist or neurologist can work together uh, with depending on what issues the patient may be having. Um, if it's a, you know, if it's a female with having hormone issues, then of course you're going to want the expertise of the OB-GYN and then if the OB-GYN just has questions from a functioning standpoint with the nerves, then that's when the spine specialist or the neurologist can step in and, and you know, they can discuss and collaborate to come up with a plan for the patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I I agree with Paula. So again, because not a lot of um, practitioners out there are familiar, have encountered cases such as TM and NMO and ADAM, there's always a hesitancy, but what's the most important thing is if they're willing to work with the other members of the team, um, in order to manage um, um, any of these problems. I think that's what's most important because, um, you know, as a spinal cord specialist, I have, you know, I have my own little niche, but in terms of other things, I would always defer in and ask from, a, for example, from an OBGYN standpoint, what would they recommend? So again, we have our own strengths, and, and and that's the beauty of being part of a, a good multidisciplinary team is to, we all work together um, for the better of our patients. Okay, that's great advice. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, and then, do you know of any um, resources that um, you've come across that maybe have been helpful for your patients regarding sexual dysfunction? Um, we have we have several in our um, resource library on our website, mm -hmm. but just wanted to check and see if either of you knew of any that have seemed to be helpful. So usually, like, um, for me, Paula, like, I was thinking usually the PVA has a good beginning resources, uh, the Christopher and Dana V website also. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. They're good resources also. There's facingdisability.com. I'm not sure if it's still, like, um, SCI and sexualhealth.com also. Um, I think, yeah, uh, do you have anything to add to that? I'm trying to recall. No, no I, I, was, I usually refer patients to the TMA resources mm -hmm. or I, I will tell them to also check out uh, um, Christopher and um, Diana, um, their website uh, mm -hmm. to get resources as well. Okay, perfect. Um, and then we, we just received a question. Um, this is kind of going back to what we were talking about before, where um, this person has recovered most of what they lost from TM, so they mm -hmm. said they're about 95%, um, but they still struggle with um, sensation with sex. Um, and this is, this is a, a male who's, um, who's answer, asking this question. Um, mm -hmm. And so he was just wondering if you know, the lesions in the spinal cord ever heal after two years. Um, you know, it's been seven years since, since his onset of TM, and we, you know, I, I've i often heard, you know, that everything you get, you'll get back in two years, which we've talked about in previous podcasts isn't necessary. 
necessarily you know, not the case. We don't, um, you know, that's not something that we, we've seen. So can you just speak a little bit about, you know, this, this idea? Yeah, in, in terms, again, the tricky thing about the spinal cord, it's not like our other tissues that uh, it would heal, it would heal completely, and scarring is minimal. The problem with uh, anything that's affecting your spinal cord is not just the cord. You have to deal with the surrounding areas as well. Um, that being said, it also depends on the severity of your initial disease process how much has been affected. When the spinal cord quote-unquote heals, um, and it, it can take different ways, some people they would have, this is called, this is a radiologic finding, I don't know if other people, if, if our other patients, if you know, they've seen this under reports when people were monitoring their MRIs, there's an evidence of myelomalacia. Basically it's just a radiologic term meaning that there's been injury in the cord and there's and the changes that you see are because of the initial injury of the cord. So I guess for lack of a better term, it's like scarring in a way. Um, other ways, um, sometimes the cord, when instead of forming that soft scar or myelomalacia, um, some of them would form a small cavity, which is called the syrinx. Other people who are more lucky in terms of like in the areas that weren't that much damaged, there is some recovery. Unfortunately, the imaging that we have at this time is not that sensitive. Um, so it is hard to say that after two years, you will recover most of it. It depends on what was the cause of your TM, how severely was your cord affected. It depends on, I always think it depends also on your age, if you had any premorbid illness that will inhibit you from fully recovering or would predispose you to becoming frail as you grow older. There's no one easy answer, you know. There are medications that, uh, that could be, that, um, sorry, let me rephrase that. Uh, during your acute TM, you know, people get Plex or IV steroids. Um, hopefully to decrease any swelling around that area, but it's not always a guarantee that all of, you know, that you will get everything back. Um, so, I mean, that being said, in terms of recovery, I, I still, I, and I feel I sound like a broken record. Um, there's no one answer, but again, it depends on how significantly your cord was affected and the degree of how much um, you recover um, it's a combination of all of these factors that I've just mentioned earlier. Yeah, that, that, is, that is so true and I think the patients have to understand, although we have great diagnostic um, tools to use such as the MRIs, they're not perfect mm -hmm. and <clears throat> when you're trying to image something such as the spinal cord that's a, it, that in, in reality is a very small area and it's surrounded by this bony structure and then your internal organs and everything, it is very, very difficult, especially for patients who have partial TMs or partial changes in the spinal cord, to see exactly um, how severe of the tracts were damaged. And um, so we have to kind of take a guess on how severe the damage is. And, and that makes it very difficult to predict what the um, progress is going to be for the patient. And then when you factor in other things, the person's age, how well they were functioning prior to the event, what other comorbidities. It's, it's, unfortunately, we don't have an exact science uh, for it, but I try and do for everybody to offer them the same, let's get in rehab, let's get you on uh, whatever necessary drugs may be and just really, really work hard on improving uh, function in the patients. Thank you both. And then, um, is there, any, you know, I know we've talked about a lot today. Um, is there anything else that you want to add that we didn't cover, or um, maybe just talk a little bit about your hope for the future in, you know, discussion of this very important topic? I, I think one of the key things with uh, this disease process, whether it's ADEM, NMOSD, or TM, um, like I said earlier, I, I hope patients can see the need of having a team of providers to take care of you, uh, some of which will, who will 
sub-specialize in certain key things that might affect them and that team coming together to provide a um, good quality product for the patient. My hope for the future is that there will be more centers that actually work at putting together these teams for these patients, for our patients, so it can make it uh, be easier to work with the patient, you know, depending on what, or not depending on, but what, regardless of what um, deficits they might have. So having a team that has the, the urologist, that has the gynecologist, mm -hmm. that has the physiatrist, that has the, the PA, the RN, the, the neurologist, um, the psychiatrist or whatever it may be that we all come together to help take care of our patients uh, that can have so many different symptoms and respond differently to the medication. Um, I know a lot of places are working on developing these true multidisciplinary uh, centers and I, I hope to see more expand across the United States. Yeah, so um, I, I guess just one of, one of the last things I want to say um, for this podcast is that um, for our patients, um, please do not hesitate to ask questions um, and, and let your providers know um, basically what is you know bothering you or the the the, the um, conversation about sexual function a lot of the times has um, been swept under the proverbial rug, but if uh, um, your providers are here to help you, so please do not hesitate to ask them questions and to seek answers. Um, I also agree with Paula. Um, it is difficult um, that there are not too many centers out there that really practice a multidisciplinary team approach, and I do feel for my patients because they have to go to other centers or other providers when it's not practical for them to get an answer. So hopefully, um, um, you know, barring the you know challenges with the healthcare system currently, um, there will be more centers that will be geared towards providing this. Um, you know, holistic care for our patients. Yeah. Great, great. Thank you both very much um, for for speaking on this topic. It's, it is really important, and we really appreciate it. Um, and I just wanted to let everyone remind everyone that this podcast will be made available on our website and on iTunes, so it can be downloaded and listened to again. And then also, we will have our next podcast on contraception, pregnancy, delivery, and child care on November 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So thank you both very much. Thank, thank you. you.